damage, please. Cause the only thing you test did was came out the play. Stay out my way, motherfucker. Frogs, do we go to fall? Do we let it pop? Go, let it go. Let go, give it to you. He gon' give it to you. Next go, give it to you. He gon' give it to you. I wanted to talk about the uh, Griezmann fucking blackface thing. <laughs> pretty, pretty uh, intense. Yeah, dude. I was um, so I was like following a couple of these journalists and like got mm -hmm. like a couple incredible people just doing crazy defenses of him. Like it's nuts. Like I don't know what like why people do this, but they like it brings out the absolute worst in people to like deal with shit like this. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, it's funny to me and it's it's sort of when I first saw it because I followed Griezmann on Instagram. Yeah. I thought it was uh, like a teammate or something. And then I realized that it was actually him and he <laughs> blah blah. And it's pretty insane. He and Griezmann is a huge is a huge, huge uh NBA fan. Like yeah, yeah, big yeah. NBA guy spends his, you know, he spends his, uh, you know, his off seasons in Boston playing basketball and like, you know, so I knew that he was really into basketball and then the blackface thing, as soon as I saw it, I, my first reaction was, <laughs> oh man, he's, he's going to have some, he's going to have some trouble with some back issues. <laughs> and it, I think what it is that I think, I think that's a very good point you mentioned is that, uh, you know, people are sort of defending this in the sense that. We look at it from a perspective in the United States where blackface is sort of a, you know, it's a non-starter, right? Yeah. You don't do blackface. It's not tasteful. It's not funny. It's has very, very deep racial connotations right. in, in American history. And the defense with Griezmann is like, well, you know what? Like, we're looking at it from a context as Americans, whereas in reality, blackface may not be that big of a deal in Europe. And I think that that's such a cop-out. Yeah. I think it's such a cop-out. It out. totally is. I think that, I think that you know, France, uh, and living in France, it's, it's always interesting to talk about race relations in other countries. Yeah. If you think that race doesn't play a factor in France the same way that it does in the United States, the same way that it does anywhere else in the world, uh, you're crazy. Yo, right? yeah. And, like, if you go back even to the like World Cup shit mm -hmm. with Benzema mm -hmm. like they are keeping him out of the World Cup ostensibly because of all the like the criminal shit but yeah. I mean I think that there is the reason there's not a bigger outcry because he for the entire time he's been out he was until like really recently he was the best striker that France had by far for sure like you're gonna roll out Giroud instead of Benzema sure. and like yeah sure the dude has some sketchy ass friends and maybe he's not the best person in the world but like you're going to, like, exclude him from, from the team because of that. I think when he said, look, I think there's an issue here because I am Muslim and I'm, you know, not white, I actually think that there's a lot of shit that's right about that. Like, more right than wrong, even though, like, everyone is going to be like, well, what do you mean? Like, maybe don't, you know, blackmail your teammates. But, like... Yeah, yeah no, I agree. I think that, there's, that there are societal issues that are based around race and socioeconomic st status in France the same way that there are anywhere else. And so for Griezmann, on one end, I understand that, you know, yeah. it's like, come on, guys, I'm just joking around, this, that, and the other. But on the other, you have to imagine that Griezmann right now is probably one of the top five strikers in the world. Yeah. He probably has a team of, po of publicists and things like that. Someone should have mentioned this. Yo, and how did the tweet stay up so long? The Instagram post stay up so long? He refused to take it down. Like, he, he actually wrote, like, a... A follow-up message saying, "Come on, guys, you know." Oh my god! <laughs> this is, I'm just, you know, I like, I like the Globetrotters. This is like paying homage to them, and it's, it's sort of, it does show that you know what, if you're one of the top strikers in the world, you have a team, and someone on that team should right. have said, "Hey, this may not be as tasteful as you think." Yeah, it is. and I'm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
I think, again, like I 100% agree with you that <laughs> the cop-out that's saying, oh, well, you know, in France, it's different. It's not that different. It's not, right? that, it's different. not that different. Right. Right. And I talked to some of my friends, some of my, my uh, you know, my, my Afro-French friends about this, and they talked, they told me the same thing. They were like, look, like, it's super, it's offensive. We're not going to be up, you know, they're, they're, they weren't super up in arms about it, but right. deep down, they know it's offensive. It'd be the same thing if Griezmann put up a, an Instagram post with like a sombrero, right. and like a, you know, like a, a mustache drawn on it. it right. is, I'm not going to be super offended, but it's, <laughs> if you're asking me if it's offensive, yes. Well, yeah, it is. is. Right. Exactly. You know? I mean, I, one of the memories that I have from Spain is like when they're doing the, uh, the parades for, for Reyes, they yeah. almost always have a dude in blackface. blackface. Yeah. And like every time I'm seeing that shit, I'm like, this is not great. Why don't we just not have that guy dressed up in blackface, yeah. or like find a black dude to play that sure. play, like, that character? Yeah, and and it's you know I think it's it's the the race relations and the issues with race, uh you know transcend you know basically like borders in the sense that every country that I visited has had these type of like the issues and situations with with uh you know African or Afrocentric identity, right? right. And so, for example, a, a good example is Brazil, right? Where Brazil, yeah. in a lot of ways, parades itself as this country that race doesn't matter, that race is eliminated. But you know what? Uh, it was only a few years ago where we were where we were dealing with um, affirmative action initiatives in yeah. Brazil in order to re- sort of rise up the 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 Afro Brazilian class uh, and get them guaranteed spots in college in order to enhance themselves and in order to enhance their communities. And there was a massive backlash yeah. against that, right? And 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 the, and the backlash was that you know what, like it doesn't matter if they're black, they should be able to just do this on their own. When in reality, a large portion of the Afro-Brazilian community come from very impoverished areas and aren't able to even get the same type of access that 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 uh, you know uh, white white Brazilians have. And it's this, you know, in France, it's the same way. There's a, yeah. a lot of discrimination based on race. There's a lot of discrimination based on religion, particularly following. The attacks, um, you know, the Bataclan attacks and things like that. There's, there's sort of, you know, these these really really undertones. Like it's not something that's as open as it is now in Trump's America, right? Or in but, Spain, or in Spain, <laughs> or in Latin America. Right. Right? I mean, uh, but but it's there, and yeah. you can tell. And it doesn't take a long conversation with someone uh, of African descent in in France for them to say, you know what, this is still an issue. You know, I mm-hmm. mean. Yeah, Pogba may not face it as much as as we do, but I'm sure he might and might have when he was younger. Yeah. And same with all the players, Conte, in all Conte. of them, right? Oh, like, yeah. so uh, I just want, as you know, like one of the things that we do in this show is like kind of highlight shitty takes. So one of the shitty takes for this week is this dude going on a Twitter rant defending uh, Griezmann. So his this is Patty Barkley. He is a uh, Sock writer, um, in and uh, I can't remember what publication he works uh, works with, but he's a, he's a well known well known journalist, and so he's responding to David Lammy's uh, uh, comment about I can't believe that in 2017 a bookmaker uh, is sharing photos of someone in blackface and then telling people to stop taking it so seriously. Racism, and misogyny is not a laughing matter, and I stand by uh, this person who puts up with so much disgusting abuse. So. Of course that's right. Like, it's not right. funny. But this dude, his response is, racism and misogyny? How do you explain either of those? Having someone dress up as you is hardly abuse of any description. It's, you it's know, amazing. And it's funny because the thing is that he's missing the person the, the person that responded is that they're not dressing up with you. They're not dressed. It's the same way that if I dressed up as you as a caricature. Right. With, like, really just uh, engrossed features. Right. 
to like make you almost comedic, <laughs> to make you like a, 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 not human. Right. right, and that's that's what that's what this is essentially. That's what ba- blackface. I mean, that's does. yeah. The historically blackface was people darkening their skin, but also making huge red lips and then prancing around and being clumsy and stupid. Exactly. Like it's a whole part of the act. So when you darken your skin, just because you're not doing the other stuff, you're calling back to this incredibly bad racial history where blackface was used to demean black people. And even if you're not trying to, you are. So, uh, so this person responds, "Well, look, they've blackened up." To take the piss out of her. Apparently blackened up is the way Brits say this, but they've blackened up to take the piss out of her. I don't understand how you don't get this. That's exactly right. And this guy responds, well, how exactly was he supposed to impersonate her without darkening his skin? If you explain that, I'll get it. Or are you saying that only white people can be made fun of by white people? That would make sense. So... It just—it seems like he's absolutely unable to grasp why on earth this would make sense, and it's this classic racist argument, right, about how well I don't understand, right, why black people can say the N word, but I can't. Like, why is it okay for them to say it? Like, right. oh, cracker is just as offensive an insult because, right. and like, black people are racist when they say white people do things because it's this whole genre of ideas of these of these people. It's also funny to me that the guys that are writing this are just like old white guys telling <laughs> black people what they should be offended about what yeah. they shouldn't be offended about it's sort of no man if it's it's the same thing it's the same sense I have with the red skin uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's a good point if they're telling me it's offensive it's offensive and that's it like I'm not going <laughs> it's to not that in, complicated right? yeah, I'm not going to jump in and say well you shouldn't be offended you're being you know you're being w- ridiculous about this if the outcry yeah. was to the level where Antoine Griezmann has to take it down and apologize. Apologize twice! Twice! That's essentially the end of the conversation. Enough people were offended yeah. for it to be considered offensive, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, is like, there's no, obviously there's no numerical threshold, but I mean, I think Griezmann got the message. Yeah. He was like, oh, I've offended a lot of people with this. I've messed up. Right. I've admitted I've messed up. So there's no need for the, the white saviors on Twitter to like come in and say... <laughs> Oh no no no! Like that's actually okay. It's you know? totally cool. Like, yeah. well, what happens when a black guy wants to dress up as a white guy? It's like, shut up! Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's not the point. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a lot of this goes back to like these white people getting so pissed off about like what they can or can't say. It all goes back to this idea, like, how about you just think about to yourself instead of it like being a societal prohibition, just think about yours, like. Don't be a dick. It's not that complicated. Yeah. People are saying this is a dick move. You can disagree or agree whether it's a dick move or not, yeah. but a polite person does not is not a dick to people on, for no reason. So like Griezmann like heard from enough people, "Hey man, like this sucks. This is a dick move. Yeah. Can you not do this?" Sure. And he takes it down and he apologizes and hopefully he learns from it, right? But like in this case, this these people who are like rip roaring exci- like excited to like go to war about it are just really going to war so that they can not about like say stuff it's about so so they can say and do stuff and not have other people get offended by it totally and i think you know with antoine you know i'm pretty sure that he had some of his teammates and stuff say hey, like you know this is kind of <laughs> sucks don't do this and and you know i mean if you're asking me if i think that antoine griezmann is racist i don't know but i i suspect that he's not but it's it's the same sort of thing that like if you offend someone, right. regardless of like how you offended them, just apologize. Yeah, it's not that complicated. It's, it's not, and, and you know what? Like, it's something again. I think that it was a fail. It was a complete lack of judgment in Antoine in Antoine's position. 
uh, he realized it eventually, uh, <laughs> and you know what? He apologized for it, and I think, and 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 I think that that should essentially not be the end of it because I think that it's a good message for all footballers. Yeah. That just keep your stuff tight on social media. One and two. Like blackface is offensive. <laughs> just like it's don't just do offensive. it. It's not that complicated. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> you know, like and and it's and you know you can't sit here and give me this. Uh, and this is an argument that I've heard a lot when I've traveled. Is you know, the cultural thing. Right. Like, well, it's cultural here. It's, it has a different connotation. Has a different thing. It's ask. You know, ask. Right. You know the like ask black people in that particular country if they're offended by that. And I'm sure that you'd get some that probably wouldn't be, but there's others right. that will. And and it's because. This blackface sort of this 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 I, going back to what I said earlier, this caricature that you create, and that's what it was, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, look, he dressed up as a caricature of a nineteen <laughs> seventies basketball player is what he envisioned himself to be—a big Afro yeah. basketball, like big baggy basketball jersey with a sixty nine on it, and he's like wearing it's like in, in, like you know an all black face. It's that is in multiple layers offensive, and I think that. I don't think that Griezmann and did that with the intention of offending right. black people, right? But I think that he also, you know, once he realizes it, apologizes it, and says, "Okay, we're apologizes for it," and he says, "Okay, you know, this this won't happen again." You don't. We don't need a flood <laughs> <Right>. of old <laughs> white guys telling Griezmann that he's actually should be allowed to do and, that. And the black people that are offended don't be offended, right? What's yeah. interesting to me, right, is that. It, when we talk about like whether someone is racist, like in our country, it's such a all or nothing thing. For sure. But like, I think that it's it's we need to stop thinking of it like because once you like do something like this and everyone's like, oh, he's a racist, it's like a horrible blot on your character. For sure. And instead, what really is is going on is it's much more complicated, and people do racist things and 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 a lot of times without thinking i don't i don't think he thought about this being racist and did it intentionally so saying oh he is a racist is a lot different than being like that is racist totally and if we can just get to a place where we can say hey man that's racist and he like learns and doesn't do it again that's a really important positive step but if we like as a society just say write people off as racist because of shit like this then not only will those people never learn but we're never going to get to a place in society where people are even like willing to uh willing to uh jump in uh and 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 actually discuss this stuff and evan is calling so let's get him back let's get him on the phone Hello and uh, let's fix football. This is your host Gabe Lezra. I am joined in studio for the first time ever uh, by Ernesto Alvarado. Ernesto, welcome to my house. Welcome to this um, palatial studio. I know we're a little bit closer to each other than normal because of this stupid uh, microphone, but <laughs> it's fine. Hello, hello. Welcome, to, welcome. Uh, happy, happy to be here and happy to be. Uh, five inches away from you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also joined uh, over the over the internet um, from I would imagine a not quite as cold as it used to be, uh, Laredo, Texas. Evan Matier, what's up, man? Well, it's not fucking snowing, which it was like not that long ago. Yeah, it, that's it's kind of beautiful here. It's it's nice. It's nice. nice. So, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Good. Um, and uh, I, I hear that you are reunited with your uh, wonderful wife, Lois. She's made it back to Texas. 
She did. She did a harrowing three-day drive by herself back from California where she was doing a kind of a, an internship. And now she's uh, she's home. That's great. And just in time to hop back in the car to drive <laughs> all for Christmas. So doing that's the, what we uh, do. Married couple uh, diamond or, or, yeah, or triangle. Triangle, triangle. yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the holiday triangle. Uh, Laredo to Orlando to Tennessee back to Laredo. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> So um, we will have started this show with a cold open um, <laughs> of just me and Ernesto uh, shooting the shit about Antoine Griezmann. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, yeah, so I may have to add in a little bit of an intro <laughs> because we just got right into it. But uh, yeah, so here we are. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. We've got a bunch of FIFA news, um, both on the uh, kind of broader FIFA investigation scale and on the um, a new kind of FIFA scandal that's been going on. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about my uh, a couple articles that I wrote about the Columbus crew and some legal issues uh, surrounding their potential relocation. So... All that and more. Um, just before we start, I wanted to read my favorite thing that happened online uh, since we last saw you guys. Uh, Pierre-Enrique uh, Aubameyang was responding, decided to go on Twitter to respond to uh, some rumors about uh, him potentially leaving Borussia Dortmund. Um, and he posted a picture of himself wearing headphones, and I'm just going to read what he said, and we're going to see if we can decipher it, because my thing, my theory is that he wrote this in German and put it through Ask Jeeves Translate or something, because it's incomprehensible. All right, ready? All right, here he's, Pierre-Enrique Boumeyang says, let me listen music better than newspaper. It's a bit of time. I extend my contract, monkey see no evil, but it's not <laughs> your mistake. You didn't know as often two clock emojis. So I think the monkey see no evil is my favorite aphorism now. I mean, well, that's what the emoji is. It's literally a monkey cl- like, like holding his eyes closed. I really want to get monkey see no evil into a court paper now. <laughs> well, I mean, we're ju- we're only a couple years away from lawyers starting to write you know, emojis and briefs, I bet. No, well, I've been I've been waiting. So first off, I've I've seen emojis and briefs. Just oh, put so that off. We're already at that uh, point. Um, second off, I I am waiting for like your brief exists as a Tumblr page, and it just has <laughs> like gifs and Wikipedia articles to make your case. <laughs> that that feeling when uh, this motion uh, uh, that that feeling when this entire lawsuit should be dismissed. It's right. like some gif uh, of my, someone drinking a beer and winking. <laughs> my. My feeling when you commit spoliation of evidence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, let's let's jump into this FIFA thing. Um, if anyone has any comprehension of what PA was saying, uh, send it to us because that that whole thing is fucking fucking nuts. But um, all right, Ernesto. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about sure. the updates in the FIFA prosecution case in Brooklyn? Sure. So basically, for the past couple of months, uh, they they've um, the the prosecutors uh, in Brooklyn, New York, have started what we we'll call the FIFA trials. Well, not started, but these are some of the more high profile individuals um, that they were looking to prosecute. Uh, the three defendants are uh, Juan Al- Juan Angel Napot. Uh, he was a former top soccer official of South, South America. He was accused of accepting $10.5 million in bribes since 2010. Manuel Burga, who is the former top soccer official of Peru, who was accused of soliciting. So <laughs> soliciting, not accepting. <laughs> was, 
His, uh, so he his, didn't even get paid. Exactly. Of <laughs> $4.4 million. And Jose Maria Marin, uh, who is the former soccer official of Brazil, uh, who was also uh, accused of accepting $6.5 million in bribes. And so uh, the trial <laughs> concluded, um, concluded, I think, late last week. And uh, the jury is still out, actually. It's, it's, I believe it's day five, and the jury has not decided the guilt of these individuals. But what's really sort of interesting... It's only because I'm not on the jury. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because you figure that um, in this case, the prosecution brought forward a lot of evidence regarding um, payments to offshore bank accounts, mm-hmm. payments to banks, uh, flights... Um, you know, emails, uh, various types of communications between the individuals that have alleged to have taken these bribes. Uh, and a lot of it surrounds uh, the sale of TV rights. So th- those TV rights are essentially what allows certain uh, networks to have exclusive rights to uh, show, you know, the World Cup games. And that's a very, very big deal in a lot of different countries where that essentially means that you dominate a summer, essentially. And so uh, the prosecution brought forward all this evidence and they rested their case uh, with the sort of theory that these guys were directly you know, implicit in the, the paying or the soliciting of bribes and that FIFA as a, as a whole uh, has very few sort of innocent, uh, innocent actors within their company or within the entity during the time of, of this sort of rampant bribery. Uh, the defense team for the uh, pro- for the uh, defendants did not raise a defense against bribery, so they conceded that there was bribes, pa- there were bribes paid, <laughs> that there was rampant bribery in FIFA, but shocking that their defendants were not involved in the bribing, which is um, hard to believe to say the least, uh, be- given the fact that you know. Essentially, everyone, particularly Coimbo in South America, has become a very, very, uh, um, a very big rod of, of criticism and also of investigation because it appears that this was just sort of the Wild West and everything was paid through bribes. And Latin America generally has a uh, reputation for this. And so the main uh, witness and so to take a step back, the craziest thing about this, these trials are not necessarily the facts of the case. Um, which are also crazy, but just a lot of surrounding things that happened with respect to the testimony and the evidence and the trial in general. So, for example, the main witness for the prosecution was an individual named Alejandro Bursaco. He was a former sports marketing executive uh, who was originally implicated in the 2015 FIFA corruption scandal. So that's like the original one we're talking about. Uh, and he basically testified against the three defendants. And also, uh, he said that Fox Sports, Globo from Brazil, Televisa from Mexico, wow. Media Pro from Spain, Full Play from Argentina, and Traffic Group from Brazil had been involved, all been involved in bribery with respect to uh, obtaining these these TV rights. And so, um, what's what's interesting about this is that during his uh, testimony, two very crazy mob-esque things happened. Uh, one was while he was testifying, one of the defendants uh, looked at him and proceeded to, 
to do a to do the the throat slashing with the they finger. Drew his finger oh, across this his is neck. Amazing. Like, I know. While the guy's on the stand, so oh, think about holy that. Shit. Holy there's shit! A, there's a jury watching him, dude. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it was, that is the second coolest thing I've heard from a trial since the Serbian guy swallowed poison. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That did roll, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so he that that was basically the were cons- <laughs> the prosecution was contemplating adding uh, intimidation intimidation charges against the, yeah. the defendant that did that while he was on the stand. The second thing that was interesting, it's a bit more sobering, was that. Uh, during the testimony, this guy was sort of the key the key witness for the prosecution. He began naming names of individuals that were used as conduits in order to pass these bribes on to uh, companies and to executives and to, to everyone else in, involved. And so while he was doing that, or you know, after he finished, I believe it was his first or second day of testimony, uh, he pointed out a particular lawyer, I believe his name was Delon, uh, De Dejlon, and he was from Argentina. He was a very mm-hmm. prominent Argentine lawyer. That once he heard that he was named in this in, in this trial, that same day he jumped under a train and killed himself. Good God! Uh, and so it's 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 incredible. I mean, it's insane. Honestly, the 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 type of atmosphere that this trial had, the type of details that came out, the type of sort of rampant corruption, and essentially, to be quite, quite frank, it's it's akin to organized crime, is just so mob-esque. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, this is like the most mobbed-out shit I've ever heard. Did you say someone was killed in Mexico also? Yes. So there was an individual that had some type of connection with respect to these allegations uh, in Mexico, um, whether he was an executive for one of the companies that was alleged to have taken bribes. Or if, yeah, or whether he was implicated through the testimony of, of the witnesses <laughs> during this trial, um, it was I think last week uh, he was killed in Mexico uh, on a what what is officially was kind of categorized as a botched um, a botched robbery attempt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, sure. That's, I uh, mean, can a, you just imagine these fucking guys sitting around in a boardroom like, yeah, we need to wax this guy. Yes, it's these fucking soccer soccer executives. Like, yeah, hit him. Well, that's the thing, right? That's what this whole thing is incredibly mobbed out in a level that, like, it's 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 really astounding. I mean, like the fucking drawing his finger across his throat is the most classic mobbed out shit I've ever heard in my life. Like, that is absolutely the kind of shit that you would expect. Like, no, it's like God, goddamn Al Capone, like, sitting there, like, I'm gonna fucking get you. Yeah, that's literally... <laughs> what are you saying? It's unbelievable. And it's... And it's and it, it just shows the level of sort of... The level of um, what's at stake for these individuals, right? Because, they, I mean, they're basically charged with wire fraud. They're charged with racketeering. They're charged with with very, very serious uh, crimes that a lot of them implicate multiple years, up to 20 years in prison for these type of crimes. And these guys do not want to go to prison for this. These guys <laughs> feel that this guy, Burasco, beat them to the punch as cooperating witnesses. And that's, <laughs> that's how, that, of, I mean, that's how it works, right? I right, mean, absolutely. like, sucks to suck. Like but whichever person race, snitches yeah. first is going to get the best deal. Absolutely. The prisoner's dilemma, man. I mean, that's the whole, that's how prosecution works. Yeah. Um, so do we have any sense of how the jury is leaning? It's a good question. Um, initially, when I was reading a lot of the facts of the case and things that came out during the trial, I 
assume that it would be something that would be relatively simple uh, with respect to at least one of the defendants who had, you know, who was charged with taking bribes, right? Um, the question, uh, a lot of the question is with respect to uh, the Peruvian official who, who solicited $4.4 million, but it's, <laughs> it's sort of, it was conceded by the prosecution that he actually never was paid. Uh, and so there's very there's different factors involved with respect to the uh to the guilt of each individual um in my opinion i mean i'd be very hard pressed to assume that they would come with not guilty for these individuals <laughs> um but you know what it's it's been 5 days and the jury's still deliberating and this morning they continued to del- to, to deliberate and they still haven't reached a, a decision so there must be some people in the jury that believe that the government did not reach the uh reach the 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 threshold needed to prove guilt right and so i mean <clears throat> jury watching is always a pretty dangerous thing and like in any case like mm-hmm. trying to assume that you know what's going on because they're taking a long time so they could just be that they're confused by the standards of the evidence or trying to figure it out so you know hopefully hopefully i was gonna say this is like a, actually a pretty complicated case right because there is so much you know a movement of money between different tax shelters and 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 whatnot that I can't imagine that like a lay jury in Brooklyn is going to be able to really wrap their heads around, you know, really complicated foreign corruption trial in only Quickly. a couple of days. And it's crazy yeah. because, I mean, again, like going back to sort of the mob kind of nature of this of this trial, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, the U.S. District Judge uh, Pamela Chen, who's in charge of, of this trial, uh, has has protected the identities of the jurors and also has put them under uh, uh, under guard basically like they have security around them all the time and this is sort of the implications of a trial that at the end of the day what blows my mind is a trial regarding corruption in soccer Uh, (laughs) that blows my mind right that it's come to that you know essentially that you're that you have to protect these witnesses because all of a sudden you have one of the defendants doing a throat slashing uh throat slashing gesture to the guy that's 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 you know basically trying to you know basically trying to right. to, to you know out 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 like his former colleagues and it's you know i think this isn't like moving drugs right this no, is like but, fucking but like who but like at a certain point it doesn't matter because when there's this much money flying yeah, around people yeah. will fucking kill you yeah. for like this kind of money and it's like and it doesn't it's, matter what it is yeah absolutely and i think uh, where the where the issue is in a lot of ways for from what I'm looking at is is look white collar crimes anti corruption crimes bribery sorry uh, white collar trials anti corruption trials are very very complicated they're very complex and there's a ton of moving parts I think the instructions that were given to the jurors were was 54 pages long that's that's a that's lot not huge Jesus right? Christ and and so and so I think that. Ultimately, there's a lot of different things that one would need to consider. I mean, particularly the defense, despite saying, okay, that was corruption, you know, have multiple lines of defense. They'll say, one, you know, what's the nexus? What's yeah. the impact that the United States has? Is there, you know, the, these things were facilitated through U.S. bank accounts? Fine, but you can, can you prove that we were the ones that were facilitating right. it? Um, the other is, you know what, although, um, for example, the Peruvian official, he was extradited from Peru. Uh, there, his his lawyer, argue, you know, could argue. Listen, 
yeah, he came over from Peru, but commercial bribery is not a crime in Peru. So you can't, you know, you basically can't say that you're going to extradite someone to, to, to charge them with a crime when that crime is does not exist hmm. in the country that they're being extradited from, right? And so it's, you know, there's very, very, it's a very complex case. It's, it's again, like not to bring bring this guy into everything but for example the Mueller investigation regarding Donald Trump you know Donald Trump saying that it's going to you know this is almost over I'm telling you right now that these white collar crime cases are very very complex they take a very long time yeah and I wouldn't be I would I wouldn't be surprised if despite my sort of personal you know inclination that these guys are going to be found guilty of at least one of the charges that they face particularly wire fraud because wire fraud is pretty easy to, 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 to prove for the prosecution um, I wouldn't be surprised if the confusion in the jury is what's delaying this whole process, you know? Uh, so with that, I think let's just continue on. We have our next uh, segment is um, kind of a, a, a recent ish development um, about uh, right, right around the time after Evan and I recorded that last, our last show, we were uh, graced with a uh, appearance of another piece of uh, corruption coming out of Spain. So, um, in last time you were on Ernesto, we did talk about um, the Spanish corruption stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but I think there's another kind of level to it. And apparently, what has come out um, out of Spain is that uh, with you know the, the fact that the government is involved and was requiring the RFEF to uh, have new elections, FIFA has sent the RFEF a angry letter saying uh, we don't want governments to interfere with uh, the running of your soccer federation. And uh, so that kind of thing can lead FIFA to prevent Spain from being in the World Cup. Like, that's that's the, the, the kind of underlying claim. And Evan, we've, we messed around. Like, we were joking about this, dude, because, of course, like, FIFA is, like, really psyched to, like, jump in, you know, and mess with Spain's, like, anti-corruption stuff. But, like, when the Syrian government is, like, jailing players' wives that don't want to play for them, they have nothing to say. (laughs) Yeah, no, fuck FIFA so fucking hard. This is so (laughs) annoying. So, yeah, I mean, we've already done, like, we did basically an entire show, like, when we first started this about how unbelievably terrible FIFA was with Syria and how they're, you know, they were asked by human rights groups about whether or not there was, you know, to review whether it was political interference. And they were given <laughs> all this evidence of them executing players and their families and taking their passports. I'm like, you yeah, know, that's a political issue. We don't really look into that. Fuck them. And then this, this is even worse because it's, what are they doing here? They're literally making it so that there's no way to get this guy who's being, you know, basically credibly accused of corruption out of his position. Right. They're coming in and protecting this asshole who's corrupt. And if you try to get him out, then, oh, you're interfering politically and we're going to suspend your national team. So it's just the same bullshit from FIFA protecting their cronies from any kind of repercussions of their actions. Right. Well, you know, what's what's interesting is the theory could be thrown out there. And it's one that we discussed before, is that how regulatory agencies could eventually get some sort of jurisdictional hook into FIFA would be through uh, instrumentalities or sub entity sub government entities uh, with connections to sport, right? And so maybe FIFA is looking at something like this, where the line is blurred between the R the RFEF and the Spanish government. And if that line is blurred, you know, a, a, a zealous regulatory agency could say, well, look, man, those guys are acting as a part of the government. There's corruption involved in that government, and we have the right to investigate that. 
And through that federation, we have the right to investigate FIFA, you know. And so maybe for FIFA, that's a way for them to keep that barrier up, right? To say you cannot have any government interaction or any government involvement with respect to the federations of football right. in your country in order to prevent, you know, a regulatory agency from coming in and trying to like climb that sort of climb that branch into the you know onto the top of the main sort of the main institution of which is FIFA, and so. What's interesting to me is that with respect to, to Spain, you're right. I mean, you have this you have this situation where what's being done is that they're trying to combat the corruption. Right? They're trying to, you know, this guy, uh, Vilad, who we talked about in, in, you know, ad nauseum, is a guy that's under investigation for severe allegations of corruption. And FIFA has just taken this really weird and really assertive step, not just to, not just for Spain, but for like Peru, for example. They threatened Peru that they would be kicked out of the World Cup if they somehow fell under the Ministry of Sport. Um, and it's and it's odd that FIFA's taking this really weird step, particularly when these you know a lot of this sort of push to have these federations fall under government control are specifically to prevent and to fight the type of corruption that was rampant when these federations were standing alone, right? It's such it's such a unbelievable like I mean like and the truth is that I think that that reading of it, right, which is that if if there's any way for a European especially a European government to get in because uh, the United States hitting FIFA isn't as big a deal because they can't really get at everyone in FIFA. But like, if a European government could somehow get in at FIFA, that's a totally different uh, situation for FIFA, I think. Because as you said, then suddenly all of FIFA could be uh, investigated, including like the really, really high up people. Now in the United States, they're they're going to kind of get around the sides, but really like they're not going to have to. They're not never really going to get to blotter, for example, right? Absolutely. But if, you know, France or Spain suddenly does it, then you have a inter-European cooperation uh, and you can do a whole investigation that way, which is really a different thing. Absolutely. No, and, 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 it's, and again, it's, it's, Spain is a very interesting one because it's sort of, I'm hard-pressed to believe that FIFA didn't know the implications that they, uh, the type of press that they would receive, right, by sending Spain, which is one of their, their bread-and-butter teams, a letter saying you may not go to the World Cup if you keep doing, you know, if you keep having government intervention, right? And to be honest with you, I don't think at the end of the day, I don't think that that's that the, that FIFA is going to put their money where their mouth no. is and do anything close to that. I mean, no, Spain is way too lucrative for them. Yeah. To, you know, to basically hold them back. Vilar, you know, the the, for, the guy that's under investigation, the, the former head of, of the Spanish Football Federation, came out and said, you know, that's a very real possibility that that could happen. Um, I'm not sure. Of course say, he's yeah, saying that, exactly. right? Yeah, 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 no kidding, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, but and I, not, I think... Mm-hmm. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I mean, so Spain, first off, had this amazing takedown where they're like, what are you going to do? Get rid of Spain and have Italy in the World Cup? Which I thought was just <laughs> yeah, a hilarious yeah. thing Italy. <laughs> Uh, I'm waiting for the conversation where all of a sudden it comes out that Italy bribed FIFA yeah. $100 million to get yeah. Spain out and let, let them jump in. The, the most absurd Amazing. thing is that, like, Jesus. I can totally see that 100%. happening. Yeah. 100%. God damn, you're right, though. God, I'm not saying that anyone should burn down FIFA headquarters. I'm just saying that if, like, some fucking Christmas lights malfunction, that's not a bad thing. Just start from the beginning. Just that We can't fix this. It needs to just start over. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, okay, so we'll be following that, obviously, but... But I totally agree. I don't think there's any chance that Spain doesn't get in the World Cup. Also, just because, like, now the groups are set, like, 
I don't know. Like, I literally, like, what happens if Spain and Peru get kicked out? Like, who comes in? I don't think there's an obvious way to fix that. Yeah, there's not. So, not. like, you kick them out and then you just have two, three-team groups? No, I don't think so. They, may, they, maybe, the, maybe the U.S. gets to lose another uh, qualifying player. <laughs> <laughs> if they, what's funny is that you could, you could only imagine the can of worms that would happen if, for example, Spain and Peru are kicked out. And yeah. All of a sudden there's countries that wanted to get into the World Cup. And you're gonna tell me that those positions in the World Cup aren't worth a fifty million, right? <laughs> yo, yo, what if they put Syria in? Fuck these oh my guys. God, what if they put yeah. Syria in? Or like Saudi Arabia or something. Like, it just they, drops no, off. No, it's like fucking seriously. The they, take, they take the losers of the playoffs, right? So they take like fucking Syria who lost the Asia to Australia playoff, and and then the loser of the Concacaf, right? So you end up with like. Take yeah, fucking Syria and someone else in Honduras. Yeah, Honduras. yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, yeah, Honduras. What a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, I think, to round out this show. I know that we have, um, we have a bunch of stuff. I think we're going to just touch on that next week, Evan, with like <laughs> some of the election stuff, like Alexi Lalas being incredibly infuriating. Um, you know, the shocking. He's quite possibly the worst pundit. <laughs> person I, I i i'm usually pretty even keeled uh on these this guy so there's much. probably no one in soccer that i hate more than alexi lawless just well well you'll be glad to know that dumping alexi lawless is something of a pastime for this show oh, now yeah. kind of a regular segment I, he is honestly just the most mediocre first off how a player that mediocre all of a sudden got the clout that he got after his <laughs> career ended in fucking shame this guy went to this guy went and played for Perugia for a half a season and got sent back he was so bad and now he thinks that he sort of has this what like I don't know. He th- he thinks that he's probably one of the top players of all time for the U.S. national team. Oh, he definitely thinks that. He also has this like in- unbelievably inflated sense of self and and self importance that he can just like every day he does this. He he posts a picture with the U.S. soccer logo and he fucking tags every single one of the presidential candidates and asks them some stupid question as if it matters like what this guy is going to say about you. Jesus Christ! I absolutely detest him. Um, but we're not going to deal with him today because I actually wanted to discuss two articles because we're three lawyers. We might as well get into this. I published two articles uh, over the last couple of days about the Columbus crew um, and their uh, potential relocation. So the first one, and Evan, you were part of the inspiration for this one, was a analysis of the law in Ohio that Ohio passed – um, uh, which I've called the Art Model Law, which they passed after the uh, Browns moved to were moved to Baltimore, and basically it says that any uh, professional sports franchise that gets uh, some sort of tax benefit from the state of Ohio has to go through a couple procedural hurdles before they can relocate the team. Um, and so my analysis, Evan, was, or you know, however either of you want to talk about this, was a, a, t- a discussion of the Dormant Commerce Clause. Now. Evan, I don't know if you uh, feel like you can talk about the Dormant Commerce Clause, but if you'd like to give a quick uh, recap for us, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so basically the Commerce Clause of the Constitution says that, you know, Congress has the power to regulate interstate commerce. And there's this kind of sub-doctrine that's been floating around out there for like, I don't know, what, a century and a half that says that because Congress has the exclusive right to regulate interstate commerce, states can't take actions which – 
interfere with right. interstate commerce. They can't essentially try to usurp Congress's right to regulate interstate commerce. Um, and I think that's it in a nutshell, yeah. um, though it gets really complicated deciding what types of state laws actually interfere with interstate commerce because all sorts of state laws that right. are okay have an impact on interstate commerce. And so it's it's simple in to like state the basic rule. It's really hard for the courts to figure out what does or doesn't actually implicate the dormant commerce clause and the Supreme Court. I I would think it's fair to say it's a little it's a it's a rarely applied doctrine overall. Yeah, and so what I wanted to discuss just I don't know Ernest if you got a chance to check it out was um, the the interesting thing I th- I thought about this situation is that it actually does look like the Ohio Attorney General is going to uh, require that. Uh, PSV pre-court sports ventures actually does comply with this law before they uh, move to uh, to Texas. Now, I, I have no doubt in my mind that they are going to try to move the, the crew to Texas. I think the only question is whether they're going to deal with this. And what the law essentially does, it requires you to give notice and then in the six and then wait six months for the municipality to find to either. And this is interesting in the law, the municipality has the option to buy the team itself or to relo- to find another buyer for this, uh, the the franchise. So, um, and the only question in my mind is whether they're going to try, they're, they're even going to do that, or whether they're going to just you know say, well, there's no way they can enforce this law. We don't think it's constitutional. Well, and there's a middle ground there too, which is they just settle. They just throw some money at at Columbus, presumably. I guess would be the other party. And uh, who, so I guess one question is whose right is it to enforce? Like who would actually sue the crew? Is it Columbus well, or is the, it the state the, of Ohio? The state, the Ohio state AG is the one who's been talking about enforcing it. And I do think that, so one of the first questions was, is there standing? Well, there is standing because the Ohio state AG can enforce it. And that yeah. basically dealt, f- fixes the standing issues. They, I would also imagine that anyone in Columbus who feels like or I mean like really anyone in Columbus who has the interest in buying the team could probably to find standing as well harder to establish at that point I think that you have a particularized interest right. but you know you'd have to look at the specific facts but so I think that there's a I just what you know just throwing it out there there's a third option which is the that there's a threat of a lawsuit or a discussion of a lawsuit and then Colum- the you know Columbus crew throws some money at whoever it is brings the lawsuit right. in order to settle it um so I don't know what I uh, but like let's say it does go do you either of you have a thought on like how the the case might play out? I mean it's interesting. I think what the the one point that you mentioned that was super fascinating in your article is that it's something that's never been tested before the courts, right? And so um you know ultimately PS, PSV the PSV would have to probably make an argument that that they somehow don't fall under this standard, right? They're going to try to somehow try to wiggle their way out of right. it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's pretty it's pretty clear, right? It's pretty specific. I think what, what would be more interesting is what would happen if... Uh, I, I'm skeptical that the, that the municipality would, would want to buy uh, the crew or would be able to buy the crew, but I am much more... I think uh, I think if if things were to play out the way that I think they would is that they would have a, a group of owners. Yeah, I wondered about that. And now the question, Evan, like I don't know if you thought about this, but the question that I have is whether uh, the statute would require PSV to sell mm. to a group of owners if exactly. they get a, a a fair offer. Exactly. And that I, I mean, think is the part of the statute that if it does require that, that is a much different commerce clause issue. I think. 
Well, yeah, and the, well, that's the thing is so this thing is multifaceted, right? And the reason why it's going to be a really interesting commerce clause analysis is so you have a couple different things playing into it. So you have first that it seems to on its face implicate interstate commerce because it literally has to do with a team, a business, like let's just be clear, a business in Ohio right. moving to operate in another state. Right. And so on its face, it seems to implicate interstate commerce. And then you have this other thing you're talking about, which is a forced sale, which itself would implicate interstate commerce because all of that money is going to move through New York and banks get involved and like all this other stuff. Right. So it definitely implicates interstate commerce there. Right. But if the Um, law requires a sale in order like would which would essentially allow uh, the state to prevent any business from leaving the state, I think that makes it a much more complicated. Like, I actually don't think it's a, a DCC violation, but if it if if the statute is interpreted to require a sale, then I think it could be because then uh, then basically what you're saying is if you're in this industry and uh, you know and you want to leave, we can p- potentially force you to sell your company to us. Yeah, no, that and that's how I read the statute too. And you know, you think about how that would play out not just in sports but in any in any industry, right? Because if a court looks at this, they're going to think more than just how does this look for a soccer team. You, you think too when Boeing was trying to move their plant from Washington State down to South Carolina, right? And this was very controversial, and the you know federal government was involved because of labor concerns and things like that. Imagine if Washington State had that type of rule where they're mm. like, well, you know, no, you have Boeing, you have to sell this plant to someone who's in Washington. We'll keep it in Washington. Before you can move it to South Carolina, yeah, um, like that—that I, I mm, that is a that yeah, is a tough sell. Wait, wait, so everyone should check DCC. that out. That's on um, ballonballonderorder.com. That's my uh, <laughs> it's legal soccer website. Um, and just really quickly, we only have about five minutes left. I wanted to bring up the second article that I wrote, which I think is more of a um, kind of a thought experiment. But I wrote it for SB Nation Soccer, um, and it's about whether. Uh, you know, the state of Ohio could use the power of eminent domain to uh, seize the crew <laughs> or essentially force the pre-court to sell them the crew. Uh, and my conclusion in the article was that, first of all, the power of eminent domain is extremely broad and they could do that. Um, now, I think the much broader question, and I'm interested in both of your think, thinking about this, is why is it such a taboo thing to think about a professional sports team essentially being publicly run? Because we have like tons of sports teams in this country that are publicly owned and publicly run, right? The Ohio State Buckeyes, right? Yeah. So the question is then, why when, when I write an article like that, is every single comment attacking the idea and attacking me? I mean, other than the fact that it's on the internet and the internet is terrible, like... Mm-hmm. Is what is why is there such a visceral negative reaction to this? Well, I mean, I, I, th- I think that first off, because you used the word, I think nationalize in the article. No, um, socialize <laughs> or socialize. So, like, um, so I don't mean to say you asked for it, but uh, but you know, <laughs> you sort of asked for it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, so you make a good point with the college football stuff and it, it, you know, it's a, a group, what's emblematic of that is that the highest play, paid state employee in most states is their best football team's head coach. Like the highest paid state employee in Alabama is Nick Saban. Um, 
the highest paid state employee in Tennessee is whoever the volunteers head coach is. So like you're right. But then again, public, you know, on the other side, the flip side, public university systems are, they are public, but they, they don't operate in the same vein that the rest of the government does. So I don't think people think of them in the same way. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's my two cents. It's just whether or not, you know, every, every, everyone kind of, I think when they dig down to it, acknowledges that our college sports system is kind of weird yeah. and kind of at the semi-pro league that we all sort of pretend like is still a, you know, part of this amateur public college thing, but it's really not. And the NCAA is the actual entity there. And that's a private entity or non-private nonprofit. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess it's just kind of, kind of a weird area for people to think of like the city of Columbus to get into running a, uh, yeah. a sports team. But also, you know, you go ahead. There's generally a fear that, <clears throat> that the city won't do a good job. Right. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day is, uh, you know, if you have the Columbus crew being run by the city of Columbus or something to that effect, Two things. One, it'll be attacked because, you know, it's taxpayer money that's like, you know, uh, basically being directed in a way that the government wants to use it, but not for any public, like, let's say like a public good, like a public function, like water or something to that effect. Uh, it would be for a sports team, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people would not be happy about. Um, and then the other, I think, is just because it's sort of the way that pro sports has always been sort of created. It was uh, that these private exclusive clubs that entitle the owner and the team to certain privileges based on the fact that they're sort of like almost kind of like country clubs and yeah. things like that. And so um, what's the, the other thing that's kind of interesting to me and something that maybe, you know, you guys have touched on before, but my, my bigger question is with respect to all of this is sort of the Columbus crew is um, from my understanding, sort of a different or the Columbus crew in the sense of like an MLS entity, right? Mm. That these, that these come, that these teams don't have the same type of freedom that for example, NFL teams have, mm. right? And that basically these are, so it's a single entity. It's a single, it's a single entity league, kind of like the WNBA, right? And so what's interesting to me is that the move to the Columbus, the move of the Columbus crew, um, I'm and again maybe I'm just I'm not I don't, I don't know too much about it but maybe uh, is the MLS sort of the one that ultimately has to authorize the move from Columbus or can PSV by itself say we're moving this club to Texas and you know they make the decision as the owners of the league right and it because the way that the MLS is set hmm. up as a single entity league is very unique. And it has a lot of challenges. So, for example, player movement, right. things to that effect, are all things that are very unique to the MLS. Yeah. And in a much sort of like lower sense, the WNBA has the same type of uh, structure, right? And so I, it's interest, I, I'd be interested to kind of see what that plays, what role that plays in the sense of a single entity league uh, with respect to the move of a team. Right? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. That's something, I mean, look, people have been, one of the big criticisms of the piece uh, is I think people didn't really understand that what I was doing is really more like tossing it out there as, as kind of a thought experiment, mm-hmm. as a as a kind of quirky legal analysis. But also, like, you know, I wasn't, I, I just think it's an interesting question to discuss. But of course, like, you know, there, one of the things that Kevin McCauley and I had talked about was, like, what happens if this actually does happen? Obviously, it's a huge ass ache for everyone involved, but, like, the next step is likely going to be that MLS simply says, all right, well, then you are no longer invited to play in MLS anymore. Um, now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's as likely as all the people that were yelling at me on the Internet said it was, <laughs> <laughs> because, like, actually, I think, again, I think it's a lot more of an ass ache than these people are really realizing. But the whole point is that MLS 
us has a huge amount of control. And I get that. And I'm not saying that this is like the right course of action. It was just literally just like a thought experiment to see, first of all, why are we as a society so anti, you know, the, this idea of like the state kind of being, having a role in, 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 in professional sports, because my argument was essentially that professional sports are cultural institutions that foster a sense of community. Uh, and, and at a time when we're feeling as a society, extremely fractured and extremely like not, you know, unified, right. Maybe these kind of cultural institutions that bring us together across race, class, gender lines are actually things that are worth protecting in your community. And that basically that was the message of the piece, not so much that uh, in this exact case, this we need to like socialize or nationalize the team. Right. (laughs) It's just maybe we should start thinking a little bit more about whether institutions like this are things that we, you know, want to protect a little bit more than we have and not let the whims of venture capitalist billionaires kind of dictate, you know, whether we lose them. Like I know, you know, my fiance, she's Eleanor is a huge Browns fan. And, uh, you know, that when they lost the Browns, it was a huge, horrible, defining, you know, culturally painful moment in her life, just like it was for a lot of people in central Ohio. And Evan, when the, they got the, you got the Ravens, I'm sure it was this huge moment where like, check it out. Now we have a team that we can all support together, uh, that aren't the incredibly racist, uh, Washington team. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Right. And, 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 you know, obviously Baltimore went through similar trauma in 1983, uh, when the Colts left, but um, you know, I, 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 there's all kinds of questions that are bound up in, in this, you know, so your piece was more legally whether they could and, you know, it kind of alluded to, you know, it, it only you only glance in a glancing right. way hit whether they should. It was more legally whether they could. They could and right. it, as whether as far whether they could, I think that, you know, organizations like the Institute for Justice, which is a libertarian uh, interest group, uh, like legal firm would just be slobbering like over the idea that someone would try to eminent domain this. Cause it's a great way to roll back Kilo, which is the Supreme court case that would potentially justify this. Um, and, and I only say that just cause I, th- I think that, um, well, they're not, they wouldn't be giving it. So that's my point was that they wouldn't be giving it to another private owner that they would basically that, just be. No, but that's exactly, that's exactly why I think it might cause a curtailing of Kilo is because, uh, I think that you could see courts distinguishing Kilo saying, oh, we're in that they weren't going to keep it. They were going to give it to a private owner here. Interesting. I, I, paradoxically, mm-hmm. I think the state continuing to run a sports team would be less public use because they wouldn't be able to make the economic development argument as strongly. Fascinating. But but then isn't um, when you have a park or like a a museum that the state runs, like I feel like they run that as a public for the public benefit. Yeah, they have to you would have to make the so that that's why I think it distinguishes from kilos because you would have to make it on the kind of the park museum cultural benefit rather than the economic development argument. But But usually have public use. You, but I'm just saying just different precedents that you'd yeah. be relying on. Um, so that's why I think it's an interesting, yeah. would be an interesting case. It's fascinating. Fascinating. But, yeah. but yeah, I think it would put, I think it would put a lot of pressure on current eminent domain law um, in, in analyzing it. And you know, who the hell knows as for whether it's a good idea. I think that, you know, you, that, that's a more ideological question yeah. of what states should or should not be doing. And I think a lot of the pushback you're getting is probably just 
ideological. Like people are just like, no, fuck no, that you know my city government doesn't be running my football team. You crazy? <laughs> very they Ron, can't even run the, the bus system. Very Ron right. Swanson esque. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much. It's been very fun. Um, we'll be back next week. I definitely want to talk about this uh, Alexi Lalas tweet um, asking the different presidential candidates how they're going to bring the fun back to the game. <laughs> Jesus. Stop charging kids $5,000 a year. Yeah, I know. It's not that complicated, Alexi. <laughs> no, I, but, think, um, I, think, I think playing more of shots by Alexi Lalas at practice. <laughs> Did you hear that we, we no. found his fucking uh, horrible alt-rock album? God. Yeah, he's like a shitty musician. Anyways, yeah. So, all right, man, uh, Evan, Ernesto, it was really wonderful to have you again, as always. Um, Good to be on. We will bring you back next time there's any updates in the FIFA thing, or if you just want to come hang out. Um, and Evan, I'll talk to you uh, next week, buddy. Yeah, man, looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Smoking Joe Fraser, the hell raiser, raising hell with the flavor. Terrorize the jam like troops in Pakistan. Swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider-Man. So all tick-tock and keep ticking. Well, I get you flipping off the shit I'm kicking. The Lone Ranger, co-ed, danger. Deep in the dark with the art to rip the charts apart. The vandal, too hot to handle your battle. He's saying goodbye like Devin Campbell. Rock neck, Inspector Dex on the set. The rebel, I make more noise than heavy metal. The way I make the crowd go wild. Sit back, relax, won't smile. Ray got it going on, pal. Call me the rap assassinator. Rhymes rugged and built like Schwarzenegger. And I'ma get mad deep like a threat. Blow up your project, then take all your assets. Cause I came to shake the frame in half with the thoughts that bomb. Shit like math. So if you wanna try to flip, yo, flip on the next man. Cause I'll grab the clip and hit you with 16 shots and more I got. Going to war with the melting pot. It's the method man for short, Mr. Map. Move it on your left. Ah, and set it off. Get it off. Let it off like a gat. I wanna break food. Cop me back. Small change. They putting shame in the game. I take game and blow the nigga out the frame. And like fame. My fella live forever. Niggas crossing over like they don't know no better. But I do. True. Can I get a suit? Enough respect due to the one six ooh. I mean oh. Yo, check out the phone like the Hudson on PCP. When I'm dusting. Niggas off because I'm hot like Source. The smoke from the lyrical butt make me uh, Ooh, I grab my nut, get screwed Ow, here comes my Shaolin style To be a B-Y-U To my crew with the Shoot and stalk, shoot all, all. It's living the life of Pablo Escobar. Point blank as I kick the square bit.
drums Coming around the mountain when I come Crazy flamboyant for the rap enjoyment My clan increased like black unemployment Yeah, another one there Took a genius, take us the f*** out of here The woo was too slamming for these coke killer labels So ain't had hits since I seen Aunt Mabel Be doing all the sin like Kane did Abel Now they money's getting stuck to the gum under the table That's what you get when you misuse what I invent Your empire falls and you lose every cent But trying to blow up a scrub Now that thought is just as right as a 20-watt light bulb Should've pumped it when I rocked it Niggas so stingy, they got short arms and deep pockets This goes on in some companies with majors that scared to death to pump these. First of all, who's your A&R? A mountain climber who plays an electric guitar. But he don't know the meaning of dope when he's looking for a suit and tie rap that's cleaner than a bar soap. And I'm the dirtiest thing in sight. Matter of fact, bring out the girls and let's have a mud fight. <laughs> The best protect your neck, the best protect your neck, the best protect your neck.